As Mike said, we are glad to have each one of you here this morning for our Sunday morning worship period. If you're a visitor today, if you're visiting with us, we are happy and honored to have you here. And please come back anytime you can be here with us at McCoynesville. A man named Robert Browning Hamilton once wrote a poem called, I Walked a Mile with Pleasure. It's a short little poem, and it says this. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way. But left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and never a word said she. But all oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. This morning we're continuing the series of sermons that I've been on for a while, and we're not done yet. Sermons on the subject, questions that deserve answers. So far in this series, we've studied the answers to these seven questions. Is the Bible truly the Word of God? Was Jesus truly the Son of God? Is there only one true church? Is baptism necessary for salvation? Can we know that we are saved? Does God want us to be happy? And how can a loving God send people to hell? If there are any of those sermons or any of other sermons preached here that you had to miss or would like to hear, all of the sermons that are preached here are available online on most podcast sites. All you have to do is do a search for McCoy's Full Church of Christ. And we appreciate Brandon's work in, in posting those online. So today, the question that deserves an answer is going to be the question, how can an all-powerful God allow people to suffer? I believe that is a question for all the ages, all times. You know, when tragedy strikes, we may wonder why God didn't keep it from happening. When the unexplainable happens, we may wonder why God didn't do something about it. Some of the answers that we often hear are from people who think they're giving spiritual, biblical answers. And sometimes the answers may come from people who have never endured any great amount of suffering themselves. But before we can study the answer to this question this morning, I think we need to address and talk about a couple of false beliefs and ideas about this topic that even Christians, members of the church, sometimes believe. So here is false belief number one. God causes everything to happen. 
That belief often shows up in the face of tragedy and suffering. A suffering person may say, for example, why did God take my child from me? Or why did God let my husband or wife or other family member suffer or die? And so God is charged with blame for whatever tragic event has happened. The belief is that God is the cause of every single event that takes place in the world every single day. So is it true? Is it true that God causes all things to happen? Do you believe that? Do all the evil, terrible, tragic things that happen in our world take place because God decrees them to happen? We have to reject. We have to reject the commonly taught doctrine in the religious world that God causes everything to happen. Death is not the result of God deciding that certain people should die today. To believe that God causes everything to happen will cause us to be angry at God and doubt the goodness of God. And in fact, that doctrine also goes against the Bible. Because the Bible never says or teaches that God causes everything that happens in the world. Actually, the Bible tells us that there are a number of factors that come into play that affect our lives. We're going to talk about some of them today. But you know, there is one being that we very, very, very often forget about. And that's Satan. Satan. Satan is actively working in this world. All the time. Every day. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. In Ephesians 6, verse 11, Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So you see, God is not the only being at work in this universe. Satan is also at work. And Satan is powerful in this world. The devil is going to tempt us and do things to us. He has wiles, as Paul says and tactics, and schemes that we have to battle against. But God, 
God is so often the one that people want to blame for their suffering. So how do you know, how do you know that God caused some particular tragedy to happen? Why couldn't Satan and his wiles been the cause of it? Satan is the author of all kinds of evil. Why does Satan get left out from the blame? Satan does not love us. Satan does not care about us. Satan is the enemy who fights against Jehovah God. So before we believe or assume that God is responsible for something, we need to realize that it's just as likely, and maybe even more likely, that the work of Satan is the cause of our suffering and is the cause of evil. God does not cause everything to happen. All right, false belief number two. Everything happens for a reason. Now, that belief is very similar to that first false belief. And it really means much the same thing. I have heard this idea mentioned or suggested in the church. Maybe you have too. That everything happens for a reason. And even though it may sound righteous and biblical, it's false. It's false. It's just as false as the idea that God makes everything happen. If everything happens for a reason, then how do we explain how do we explain an earthquake killing more than 50,000 people in the countries of Turkey and Syria about a month ago? If everything happens for a reason, then how do we explain the EL4 tornado that hit Cookville three years ago this past Friday, on March 3rd, 2020, and he killed 19 people. Some of those were people that some of us knew. Natural disasters, like those and countless others, kill about one million people around the world every decade, every 10 years. How do we explain school shootings that kill innocent children? Less than a year ago, 19 elementary school students and one teacher were tragically killed in a school shooting in Texas. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes spends a lot of time discussing how many things in life are senseless. And they do not have meaning or reason. For example, notice what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11. He says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, 
nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. Now that may not be a familiar verse to you, but I think it should be an eye-opening verse to all of us. You see, there are things that happen in life that don't make sense. There are things that happen without reason. As Solomon says in that verse, time and chance are factors in this world that bring about many causes and effects. Ecclesiastes basically tells us that there is such a thing, there is such a thing as being in the wrong place at the wrong time, or being in the right place at the right time. Now, we might call that having good luck or having bad luck, but it's really just a matter of time and chance, as Solomon says. In Luke 13, verse 4, here on the screen, Jesus mentioned the collapse of a tower in Jerusalem. Eighteen men were killed in that tragedy. And Jesus noted that this tragedy was not an indication of their great wickedness more than any others in Jerusalem. Instead, they were victims of a natural law accident. In other words, they were simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. So let's think next about Three causes of suffering. Three causes of suffering. Three reasons why people suffer. Now we've already mentioned two of them. Two possible reasons for suffering. First of all, Satan, as we said, is one possible cause for our suffering. As Satan tries to inflict pain and turmoil in our lives to tear us away from God. You know, the book of Job pulls back, you might say, the heavenly curtain. And we can see that Satan can indeed bring suffering and torment to our lives just like he did with Job. If you remember the account, first chapter of Job introduces us to a very righteous man, a good man, a good husband and father, a holy man, a man who could be counted on to do the right things. And this man has been greatly blessed by God. Job 1 verse 3 says, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. But before long, everything starts going wrong for Job. His riches disappear. He had ten children and they were all killed at the same time in a great tragedy. A great wind destroyed the house they were in and he killed them all. Job's physical health declines. He has some severe health problems. And his wife turned against him in bitterness. And if all that wasn't bad enough, 
We read that Job had three friends who came to see him to supposedly comfort him. Now, they really weren't there to comfort him. They were there to judge him and condemn him. So in the book of Job, we see these three friends going to Job, and they see Job suffering. And so they tell him basically three things. First of all, they said, Job, all suffering is a result of sin. Now, I've heard that statement, that very statement used in the church. And it's false. It's false. Everybody hear that? It's false. Now, sin can absolutely cause a person to suffer. And we'll talk more about that in a few moments. But all suffering that happens to us is not always the result of our own personal sin. Secondly, Job's three friends basically told him, Job, the greater the suffering, the greater the sin. And thirdly, they said to him, therefore, Job, you deserve what you're getting. And you need to repent. It could all be summed up by a comment from one of his so-called friends. And this man's name was Zophar. Job chapter 11. If you look at the chapter, his speech, Zophar's speech to Job, takes up the whole chapter. But here's just a little part of what Zophar told Job. If iniquity were in your hand and you put it far away and would not let wickedness dwell in your tents, then surely you could lift up your face without spot. Yes, you could be steadfast and not fear. In other words, Job, it's your own fault. You've sinned. That's the reason you're suffering. That's the reason all these terrible things have happened to you. But Job, if you just repent, well, then you'd be okay. Everything would be good. If you'd allow no wickedness in your tents, then Job, you'd be okay. Now, from the beginning of the book of Job, we, the readers, know that's not true. That's not why Job was suffering. It was not because of his own personal sin. The text in Job chapter 1, 8 through 12 that Aiden read says this one more time. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he, he surely will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So the cause of Job's suffering was the work of Satan. God allowed Satan to cause suffering in Job's life as a test of his faith. And you know the same thing was true of the Apostle Paul. 
We know that Paul suffered from an unknown physical ailment that Paul called a thorn in the flesh. And it was serious and bothersome enough that he prayed to God three times for it to be taken away. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, Paul said, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. You see, Paul was blessed with the exalted role of being an inspired apostle of Christ. So it would have been very easy for Paul to become prideful and boastful. So therefore God allowed Satan to afflict Paul with suffering, just like Satan had afflicted Job. And the work of Satan can be one cause of suffering in our lives today. The second possible cause for suffering in our lives is time and chance that Solomon mentioned in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11 that we already read. You know, we live in an imperfect world and things happen in life. People drive badly while talking on cell phones. That's why there are laws against it. Accidents happen. Natural events like tornadoes and earthquakes and floods happen. And we're affected by where we are at the time of the event. Just like the 18 men killed in the tower collapse in Jerusalem that Jesus mentioned. And the 19 people killed in the Cookville tornado three years ago. And the 50,000 plus people killed in the earthquakes. And on and on and on we could go. It can be, as Solomon said, a matter of time and chance. But there is a third factor that causes suffering. And it's an important one that we need to address this morning. And that is our choices in life. Sinful choices are probably the number one cause of human suffering. And that's the result of people making wrong choices or decisions. You know, sin is the direct result of people with free will making choices that violate God's will. Prisons. Prisons are full of people who are there because of their own bad decisions and their own actions. Much physical illness and disease is the result of people making unwise and even harmful decisions about the use and the treatment of their bodies with drug abuse or the use of alcohol or tobacco. Our choices in life will bring about either suffering or joy. If we commit sinful acts, then we can expect to receive to reap the consequences. And if we do what is good and right, then we can expect to receive the rewards. In Galatians 6, verse 7, Paul put it this way. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, 
that he will also reap. Now that idea is pretty simple. That's easy to understand. Bad things happen when we do bad things. Good things happen when we do good things. See, our world is greatly, you might say, interconnected. Our good actions are not only good for us, but they can also be good for other people. And in the very same way, our evil actions not only hurt us, but they can also affect others in a harmful, bad way. For example, drinking and driving. Drinking and driving will not only cost someone by being arrested, and maybe prison time, they could also lose their life. And worse yet, they might take another person's life in an accident. You see, we can suffer because of other people's evil actions, and we often do. We often do. So, in the lesson so far, we've seen that God does not cause everything to happen. There can be other factors at work. Satan is working against us, desiring to harm us. Time and chance are also working in this world. So therefore, we can't say that everything happens for a reason. Sometimes there are things that just happen. And we also suffer because we make bad choices, bad decisions in life. God may not cause all suffering and evil to take place, but as the all-powerful God, he allows it to happen. Now, God has the power. God has the power to intervene and prevent suffering. So why doesn't he always do that? You know, we live in a world regulated by natural laws that were established at the creation of this world. For example, the laws of gravity and motion never change. They're always present with us. So if you fall off the roof of a 10-story building, the law of gravity will pull you to the pavement below and you will die. If you step out in front of a speeding semi-truck, the laws of motion will keep that truck in motion and the result will be your death. But people still ask the question, why? Why couldn't God intervene to prevent such events? Well, what kind of world would this be if God directly intervened and set aside his natural laws like gravity and motion, every time that any person on earth was in a life-threatening situation, that would cause unbelievable chaos and confusion on our planet. Why does God allow Satan to tempt us and harm us? Why does God allow us to be affected by our sinful choices and actions? Or in the words of the lesson title today, how can an all-powerful God allow people to suffer? To answer those questions, we need to recognize and understand three facts about 
the character of God. And here's the first one. God is all-powerful. But that means that there are certain limitations. We have to realize that because God is all-powerful, there are certain things that God cannot do. You may be thinking, what are you talking about? What are you saying? For example, God cannot make himself cease to exist. Hebrews 6.18 says that it's impossible for God to lie. God cannot make mistakes. The point is that, that God is not all-powerful in an absolute sense because there are certain limitations in effect because he is all-powerful. And there's where the problem of free will comes in. God did not create evil or cause evil. But by giving people the ability to choose the possibility of evil was created. God could not have created a world in which people have the freedom to make life decisions, and yet there's no possibility of sin and evil. God must allow evil if he is going to allow free will and choice. So in Genesis chapter 2, we read about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve were told by God not to touch. And they were told that because there was free will. And we know the account of what happened because they made the wrong decision. And they gave in to the temptation of Satan. God created a world where people were free and are free to choose. And humans have ruined that because we have decided to sin. And that all began with Adam and Eve. So the blame is not on God but on us. Much of the suffering in the world, much of it would end if everyone did what God said to do. But more than that, there would be no evil if everyone always obeyed God. But people choose evil and wrongdoing and suffering is often the end result. The second fact about God's character is this. God is all-knowing. Which means that God can tolerate horrible things. God knows not only the present but he is able also to know the future. And likewise, God knows not only the present good and evil, but he can also know the future good and evil. God's wisdom is far beyond our wisdom because of that. And you know that point is easily proven by God himself. God has demonstrated how the very worst thing that ever happened in the history of the world resulted in the very best thing that ever happened in the history of the world. The very worst thing that ever happened was the death of Christ on the cross. And at the time... When it happened, 
No one, not even his apostles, could see how anything good could ever come from such a horrible, terrible event. But God knew, God knew that the result would be the forgiveness of sins and salvation in heaven be impossible. Now, did God cause that terrible, evil act to happen? Well, the answer is no. People People made the evil choice to convict and crucify the Son of God. It was the people who cried out to Pilate in Matthew 27, give us Barabbas and let Jesus be crucified. So why did God allow that to happen? Well, first of all, as we already pointed out, if God intervenes, then he is removing free will from people. But the second reason that suffering was allowed was because God knew that the suffering of Christ on the cross would mean a better result for humans. When we suffer in this life, we may not always realize that there could be a good result from that suffering. But that's exactly what happened through the death of Christ on the cross. So, will every bad thing turn out to be a good thing? Well, the answer is no, not at all. The Bible doesn't make that promise. People sometimes want to read that idea into Romans 8.28, but that's not what that verse means. But the Bible does teach that we should trust God because he is all-knowing, and God has the ability to still bring us blessings and goodness in spite of the sufferings that we endure. A third fact about God's character is this. God is all good, but that does not eliminate all pain and suffering. God is all good, but that does not mean that no pain or suffering should ever come to us. God can still be all good while allowing us to suffer. You know, when we go to the dentist to have our teeth cleaned, the dentist or the hygienist is doing good for us by removing that plaque and tartar on our teeth. That's a good thing. But it can hurt. It can hurt when he or she uses those tools to remove it. You see, good does not eliminate pain and suffering. Parents often have to allow some degree of suffering for their children so that they'll learn important lessons rather than trying to insulate them from the real world. You see, through suffering we learn. That's what the, that's what the words of the little poem at the beginning were really saying. Moral character is formed and shaped through hardship. Suffering teaches us how to be strong, how to endure. And we learn and we can grow from those difficult, hard, painful experiences. 
But that wouldn't happen. That wouldn't happen if everything in life was, as we say, a bed of roses, nonstop fun and good times. You know, the old workout saying is true. No pain, no gain. If God intervened to prevent every bit of potential suffering in our lives, then what would we become? We would become like spoiled brats. And we wouldn't have the character that is required of us to live with God. But worse than that, if God prevented all evil and suffering, that he would have to take away our freedom. To prevent all evil and all suffering, all freedom would have to be taken away. And that would make us nothing but puppets with no free will in life. And God would be like a great puppeteer in heaven pulling all the strings to make everything happen. So here are some final thoughts for what we've talked about today. God allows suffering and evil because he wants a world, he wants a world where there is free will for man to choose to love him and follow him. To intervene against all evil would remove free will from people. Suffering can be the result of our evil acts or the evil acts of others. Satan is at work in this world. But God has put boundaries and limits on what can happen. In creating a world that operates with free will, God also must create a world where time and chance have an effect. We can choose to do what we want. And therefore, we can put ourselves in the wrong place at the wrong time. The world that God created has natural laws that are necessary for our existence. But those same natural laws can cause death and destruction. Diseases that can sicken and even kill people can be caused by our own unwise or evil actions or the evil actions of others. And you know, COVID, COVID might fall into that last category. Ultimately, we need to remember that God cannot have this earth perfect. Because then we would not desire to be with him eternally after our earthly life is over. We think that where we are is, is wonderful enough and we never want to leave. You could say that life on earth is like a probationary period in which people are given the chance to attend to their spiritual condition as it relates to God's will for our lives. Suffering is what draws us closer to God and makes us look forward to perfection in heaven with Him. In Romans 8, verse 18, Paul says... <coughs> For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Jesus came to this earth 
and suffered and died for us. And that is the ultimate proof of his love for us. Most of you have heard about a place in California <clears throat> called Pebble Beach. Now, there's a famous golf course there, but there's also an actual beach nearby. And tourists from all over the world come there to pick up and gather the beautiful, round, polished stones from that beach like you see in this picture. So how do those stones become so smooth, so beautiful, so desired, so sought after? Well, it comes from the continual and unmerciful waves that come in and toss and grind those stones together and throw them up against the rugged cliffs along the shore. But not far from Pebble Beach is a quiet little cove called Shelter Cove. It's sheltered from the waves. And there's an abundance of stones and rocks there as well. But nobody wants them. They are unsawed and unwanted. Those stones have escaped the beating of the waves, the pounding of the waves. And so they are rough and angular and sharp without beauty. You see, with God's help, we can look at our suffering with appreciation as a reason for drawing closer to God and for being molded and shaped more into the likeness of Christ. But we can't become more like Christ unless we first belong to him and his church. And to do that, we must come to him in faith, believing that he is the divine son of God. We must come to him and repent of our sins and turn away from them. We must confess the name of Christ and make him the Lord of our lives. We must then be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. And then we must live faithfully with the hope of salvation in heaven after this earthly life is over. If you're not in Christ today or you haven't lived faithfully to him and there's public sin in your life that you need to confess in a public way, Christ offers you his invitation today. That's together we stand and sing.